Hello, I'm Amy Fuller, two-time Olympian, author, broadcaster and proud host of the British Heart Foundation's TCS London Marathon podcast series, The Race Is On. The BHF are thrilled to have been chosen as the TCS London Marathon's Charity of the Year 2022. And in this special series, I will be speaking to a whole host of guests who are the key success of this incredible event. I'll be chewing the fat with runners and researchers, speaking top tips with the BHF support squad and finding out things like what is Mr. Motivator's favourite running song? And how does an organisation even get chosen to be a charity partner? I hope you find these interviews as fascinating as I did. And whether you're running for the BHF this year or just cheering from the sidelines, we thank you for your support. Now, on with the show. In today's episode, we meet not one but two of our TCS London Marathon Support Squad members. You should be familiar with them now, as they've been bringing Team BHF invaluable advice these past months. Welcome, Professor Greg White, OBE, and our very own dietitian, Tracy Parker. Greg's career background spans decades, and he brings his wealth of knowledge and expertise to this episode. A former Olympian, in modern pentathlon, Greg is a European and world medalist. He's a specialist in the field of sports, exercise and health science. Greg has extensive professional experience assessing, treating and improving the performance of patients, sporting enthusiasts and athletes. Greg is also well known for his involvement in comic relief. Since 2006, Greg has applied his sports science work to assist various celebrities in completing some of the toughest challenges. Greg has trained, motivated and successfully coached 36 sport and comic relief and children in need challenges, helping raise over 60 million for charity. And we can't not mention Tracy Parker. She is a registered dietitian and sports dietitian with over 20 years experience. She started her career working in the NHS and specialised in heart health nutrition, advising people with heart and circulatory conditions on what to eat to improve their heart health. She then joined the BHF as a senior dietitian and works across the organisation, advising teams on the nutritional aspects of their work. You may have seen her name in the media too, as she writes for both print and other media and acts as a BHF spokesperson on all aspects of food and cardiovascular disease. As a sports dietitian, she's been sharing her expertise as part of the BHF support squad that has been working hard to support you throughout your marathon journey. Greg and Tracy, welcome to the podcast. And well done to you, because that was a hell of an intro, so... (laughs) Well, it seems that both of you are so highly qualified. Um, (laughs) I need some sort of manual to uh, actually read out the list of your qualifications. (laughs) Congratulations, first off. And uh, Greg, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about your background um, and your former competitive days as a pentathlete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting one, really, because t- 
to some extent, me and you, Amy, come from different generations, uh, quite literally different generations. But I mean, uh, are, I, I we, was, are we going to go there with the, the generation age uh, yeah, gap I've, straight well, off you, the You've bat. already said that I've got decades of background, so it, it gives away my age. But I mean, I, I, you know, I was an athlete at a time when there was no lottery funding. I mean, lottery funding came in in 98. So it's a, a recent phenomenon. I think often we think that actually money in sport has, has been around for forever. But um, so, you know, I, I was at the 92 Olympics, so a long way pre-lottery funding. And at that time, you had to either, you either studied or you worked. That's what you did. Uh, and so I, I studied, I did an undergrad in London, then went out to the US and did a postgrad in the US and then returned to London to do a PhD at St. George's Hospital Medical School in a particular disease, a cardiovascular disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, um, looking at the difference between athletes because a- athletes' hearts can change in terms of shape and electrical activity in response to exercise, but it can mimic this particular disease. That was an awful long time ago. Uh, and then from there... Uh, when I retired from sport, I then became the director of research for the British Olympic Medical Centre and looked after the prep of five Olympic teams by summer and winter. I then went on to become the director of uh, science and research for the English Institute of Sport and then also for the Irish Institute of Sport. I helped set both of those up. And and then since that time, I've sort of moved into consultancy and, and back into academia where I hold a, the, the post of professor at Liverpool John Moores University. So it's been a Wow. It's been a long time. <laughs> that is is quite the journey. For those people that maybe don't know, um, what is pentathlon? Okay. Well, it'll be a pop quiz at the end of this. Okay. 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 <laughs> to see how well I've listened. And it was actually introduced into the Olympics uh, by Baron Pierre de Coubertin, who was the founder of the modern Olympics in 1896. And what, what he wanted was a, an event that replicated or at least reflected an officer on the battlefield. And so the idea was that an officer would deliver a message across a battlefield. And in doing that, they would have to be able to run, to swim, to fence the opposition, uh, to shoot and to show jump. So to, to ride a horse and jump over uh, over fences. And so modern pentathlon was born from that. So it, modern pentathlon is running, swimming, shooting, fencing and show jumping, a multidisciplinary event and, and Probably the best analogy is if you think about heptathlon, decathlon, which we understand a little bit more about. It's a, a point system uh, through which you're trying to accumulate as many points as possible uh, in order to win. Well, you've definitely got the experience when it comes to cross-training. And I know that's something that is <laughs> very important when it comes to marathon training because you can't do it all on your trotters. Uh, you've got to give them some rest at some points. And I guess that's where things like swimming come in. But Tracy, I'm going to come to you because... I've done the London Marathon once before and I was fascinated by how nutrition positively impacted your performance. Tell us a little bit about your background as a dietitian and your work with the BHF. Yeah, a bit, a bit like Greg, actually, that this question brings back lots of memories because I've been a dietitian for quite some years now too. But um as you rightly said in the, in the the intro, I've, I spent originally quite a lot of time in the NHS uh, when I first qualified, so as a clinical dietitian, where I eventually specialised in cardiac and respiratory care. So, and that was based at um, 
what's now uh, Bart's Hospital. Um, and that meant I was working on the wards in outpatients, um, doing cardiac rehab, um, which, you know, working at the BHF now is, is a, a big focus, um, as well as working on cardiac intensive care. So quite, quite a varied clinical dietitian role. Um, and that 10 years passed very quickly. And I, you know, I felt it was time for a, a new challenge. So using that uh, cardiac experience, um, I started working at the, the BHF in, in quite a different role, such much more of a public health advisory role rather than clinical one-on-one seeing, seeing patients. And the best part of my job now is I actually get to work right across the organization. So from policy teams to fundraising, to the content team, and as a spokesperson with press. Um, and it, and it means I get to be involved in lots of different uh, projects across the, the organization. And um, I guess use my expertise to make sure that the information that goes out with the BHF is accurate and up to date. But during all this time, I had a, you know, a, a big interest in sports nutrition. And so I get to provide lots of lovely bespoke nutrition information for, for the BHF2 uh, alongside all the sort of the, the cardiovascular sort of general health um, information too. And so currently, you know, working with the fundraising team on with the London Marathon, I also work quite closely with Full Potential who do the, the training aspect of uh, the fundraising team. So everyone out there, you might might already have heard me or seen me in person at the actual the training days. And, uh, you know, hopefully everything that we say to do today is going to be um, useful as well as seeing um, us in person at the at the training days. Definitely somebody you want to have on your side, a staple of knowledge. But back to you, Greg, you're involved in cardiac care alongside one of our BHF researchers, Professor Sanjay Sharma. What made you want to learn about sports science after competing as an athlete? And what made you want to specialise in this particular area? God. That's a, an intriguing question. That's, a, that's really. I, a meaty one, that is. That is a meaty one. The, the one thing we do is we obsess about performance and how we enhance performance. And I think part of that is really trying to delve into understanding you know, the, the host of sciences. Often we sort of use this sports science label, but it, it effectively is a host of, of sciences from physiology, psychology, nutrition, sociology biomechanics you know so it's it's it's, whole, it's a whole range of sciences which are all looking at at trying to explain performance and then also looking at ways in which we can enhance performance um, and it's that sort of lovely lovely sort of way that we've begun to look at it in terms of these sort of marginal gains of these tiny changes which we know that you know from a nutritional perspective we already said about you know running marathons it actually you know the nutritional scope can be a difference between success and failure but equally just those tiny little changes that we can make that can, can make a real difference to performance and, and I think for me that was really what sparked the interest in it and, and during that process I, I happened to be on an internship in the US I was doing a master's degree in human performance and I did an intern in cardiology and from there uh, when I returned to the UK I actually studied with Sanjay Sharma so what the reason why I do a lot of work with Sanjay is we studied I studied my PhD whilst he was doing his, his MD at the time at St George's under the legend uh, that is Bill McKenna, Professor Bill McKenna, who's the world's leading authority on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which was the disease that I was uh, looking at. Um, and, and from there, it, it's all, almost the rest is history. One of two things that we did, I think, of note. One is that 
Um, we established the, the, the country as one of the world's first centre for sports cardiology um, at the British Olympic Medical Centre. And I then took it to my practice on Harley Street. And what we also did is we effectively evolved the, the cardiovascular screening program for all athletes, which uh, is now used both nationally and internationally uh, by the IOC, by FIFA, by um, UCI and, and all other international organisations to to look at the cardiovascular health of athletes. So it's been a, again, that, that's been an incredible journey really in, in, in how that has evolved over time. And if you compare what we know now to what we knew three decades ago, it's, it's a completely different place. That's crazy. You talk about marginal gains when it comes to athletes. When it comes to approaching a marathon as an amateur athlete or someone that's never run a marathon before, how important are all of these aspects and, and are the marginal gains important? It's an interesting one, really, because I have this debate about marginal gains on a regular basis. And I think certainly from an elite athlete perspective, marginal gains are critically important. But I think the analogy to think about is it's like, it's like making a cake. Uh, and what you've got to think about is the marginal gains of the icing that you put over the top of the cake. Ooh, I like uh, that. Now, the point being that the cake itself, you know, it is the training. You cannot yep. escape the fact that training is everything when it comes to any sport, but particularly when it comes to endurance and ultra endurance sport, is that you have to have done the training. And and to that end, if the cake is of poor quality, it doesn't matter how good the icing is, the right. cake really yeah. is, is of no value whatsoever. It will crumble under pressure. So so I think you know marginal gains are really important. But I think what, what what you need to avoid is in the first instance is trying to assume that there is a shortcut to being able to run a marathon. Marathon is really tough and getting from the start to the finish, that is a success in itself. And I think the most important success that you get out of marathon is actually in part or in whole, but generally in part, enjoying the process. You know, the London Marathon is such a fantastic day where the crowds are incredible. Uh, wearing your name on your shirt makes a big difference because it's like running around with your family for 26 miles. But, but equally, you've got friends and you've got family there watching. And, and what you don't want to do is turn up on the day having not done the work required. It then becomes a miserable experience. And, and really, that, that then you lose all the success of the day. So first and foremost, make it a, a joyous occasion, as tough as it is. Uh, and, and then getting to the finish. And then once all of that is done, if you really are worried about the time, you can think about the time then. Success is about enjoyment and completion and I think if you focus on that that will drive you towards the right training I love that um I feel like also having you know the vision at the end of the marathon of how you're going to celebrate and what you're going to eat which brings me nicely to you <laughs> Tracy <laughs> as a BHF spokesperson on all aspects of food and cardiovascular disease what do you find are the questions you get asked the most? Yeah, good one. I think most questions are really around how to eat well to lower our risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So focus on what you can do to uh, lower your cholesterol or, or blood pressure. But um, in truth, it's, it's also driven by, um, you know, the research that gets published and picked up in the media. So for example, this year, the hot, hot topics so far have been around 
uh, coffee, chocolate, avocados, and and how they affect your your heart health. And uh, I'm sure everybody wants to know the answers to that. So you know, quick answers are they're all fine in moderation. And you'll hear dietitians saying that a, a lot, but there's a, a reason for it. But uh, specifics is you know coffee you know the recommendation is three to five cups not mugs a day uh, dark chocolate is better than any of the rest and if you like avocados stick to the you know the half an avocado a day if that's what what you you really want but you know as it, to thread it all together when it comes to nutrition and sort of cardiovascular disease uh, the most important message really and where there's a lot of evidence is actually it's better to think about your diet as a whole rather than focusing on one particular food because we know that eating a variety of foods provides a whole load of different nutrients that work together to provide this protection for, for your heart rather than just one one food like um, you know the silver bullet that people always want when coffee comes up in in the headlines. So it really is that the balance of everything. You know, Greg talks about the foundation, and it's getting that basic diet right. So focusing on plenty of fruit and vegetables, fish, pulses, whole grains, and and cutting down on on the you know the things that we shouldn't really have a lot of, like the foods high in salt, saturated fat, and sugar. So that's what's processed meat as well as cakes, biscuits, and and crisps. So Whilst those latter bits, people might be raising their eyebrows again, you know, it, it is about getting, you know, the, the best of the foundation of eating more of the foods that are good for you and, and you know, just thinking about eating less of the ones that, uh, you know, that aren't. And and that's the basic um, advice, really, in terms of the marathon running is get the fact your foundation right. And then, you know, the other bits can, you know, fit in in between that. Um, I've got one for you because something I'm I'm genuinely intrigued with is um, you mentioned salt intake and um, as an athlete you know you're advised that you know salt is good for hydration and then of course when it comes to certain sports drinks and electrolytes when people are running the marathon how do you get that balance right with salt consumption and 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 is it bad for you to have too much salt because I believe there's such a stigma as to whether it's beneficial or not? So um, we all know that uh, having a diet that's high in salt increases your blood pressure, which is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. The the issue around salt is that most of it, 80% of the salt that we eat is actually already in the foods that we purchase. So that's before you even think about, oh, am I putting too much salt on my food? It's actually in the food that we're already eating. So most of us are eating more salt than we realize. So when it when it comes to things like the marathon, when yes, you've got to be really careful about your hydration and electrolyte um, re- replacement, depending on how much you sweat. And, and unless you know that you sweat a lot and then you, you suffer from cramp or something where you might need to add a little bit more salt to your diet, you're probably going to be doing okay with your salt intake with what you're cur- currently eating. So there's no doubt about it from a a general health perspective in terms of your heart health, um, the majority of us should be watching how much salt we do have just in terms of your risk factor for for high high blood pressure. And and when you're running the marathon, it is about um, hydration and making sure you're using things like sports drinks that already have the electrolytes in them. And that's a better balance than thinking I need to add more salt at at the table. Greg, do you like your salt? (laughs) 
Well, it's, uh, do you know, uh, the, the first thing I'd say is I, I feel a bit bad using cake as the analogy for the training, but, uh, <laughs> but I think I think I think actually what the, the message there is exactly. We've, we've, we've discussed okay. moderation, right? Cakes, okay. Cakes. Listen, fine, um, just a little bit. But, <laughs> but I, th- I think you know the point is is exactly the same though, and that is that you know often you know, I talk to so many athletes who talk about race day nutrition. Uh, and the bottom line is that you spend 99% of your time training. You know, the race day itself is just a tiny fraction of, of the activity that you're doing. And, and the idea that, that somehow you can enhance your performance by just focusing on quality nutrition on the day of the race is utterly erroneous. You know, what you've got to do is think about quality nutrition on a regular basis. It's like trying to revise uh, for a school exam the morning of. It just yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> exactly right. It's exactly right. You know, <laughs> um, Greg, I'm intrigued because you've worked with many celebrities on their challenges, including doing them yourself. David Walliams just casually swimming the Thames, and uh, Eddie Izzard's 43 marathons in 50 days. You must be bulletproof. Um, tell us about <laughs> these experiences and your involvement you know eddie in particular being a you know was he a runner uh, there's a great story about eddie um he did 43 marathons in 51 days is a a truly gargantuan achievement the best story i've got about eddie is i remember the first time i took him out training i phoned him up and said look eddie we're going to meet here and and this is the session we're going to do and he said to me greg i've got a bit of a problem he said um i haven't got any trainers oh i said to him "What, what do you mean you haven't got any trainers he said well i've never done any running before I said, wow. when you say none, you mean you've done some, but nothing special. He said, no. He said, uh, he said, I've never done any running before. And it, so, it, it, you know, it was a really interesting process. Um, but, but equally, you know, many of those challenges, I remember with, with John Bishop, we went from the Arc to Arch, from the Arc de Triomphe to Marble Arch, cycled from Paris to Calais. We then rode across the channel. And then it was it was a 90-mile run from Dover up to Marble Arch. Uh, wow. 30 miles a day uh, for three consecutive days um and, and, i mean these are really really tough challenges that they're, they're not these are not television events you know they are proper yeah. um endurance proper tough endurance events which these guys complete with with a camera following them um and so and so actually you know being successful in those really is i mean I, I guess to some extent comes down to one very important factor and that is about planning and i think what what we've spoken about you know, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to training, is actually planning and making sure that you've got a structure to what you're doing, uh, setting goals, both short, medium, and long term, so that actually what you can do is you can track. And again, you know, this is, you know, it's almost cannon fodder to elite athletes, but many people don't understand they go into a challenge like the marathon without understanding that actually structuring training and planning it. And then also structuring nutrition, structuring equipment, tactic, technical, tactical, all of those things is really important if you're going to improve your chances of success. There's no guarantee of success. So, so with the Comet Relief, I mean, I've done 36 of them and they, they've all been pretty tough, <laughs> to, say, to say the least. But, but plan, planning underpins the success of all of those challenges. So, Eddie, you know, being a, a non-runner, um, how do you go from getting somebody who's never run, doesn't even own a pair of trainers, to be not marathon fit, 
multi-marathon fit. I mean, that's a superhuman feat. Do you think he has something special or could any one of us do that? Any one of us can do that. And, and, and I really like that. believe that. <laughs> I, I really believe that. But again, it's about it's about how, how you achieve that goal. We all have that capability, but it's making sure that the, 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 the opportunity requires an investment uh, in, yeah. in terms of investment in time and investment in, in the training uh, and in order to be successful. And I think, you know, nothing good comes easy. And these things do take an awful lot of work. And I think if you're prepared to put that work in, you will reap the rewards. Um, so it, it, and it yeah, brings us back to this idea that actually the vast majority of, of the work comes in training. That that's where the, that's where the, the, the tough miles are done. Uh, yeah. To the point where we should be arriving at London Marathon in in such good condition that we can actually enjoy the process. I like it. One thing I would say, though, in terms of equipment, having experienced plantar fasciitis for many years, having been a snowboarder, I did see there was huge, huge improvement in having you know sort of running orthotics made and a good pair of running trainers. And the important message there, as you rightly say, is that a lot of these things are very individual. And I think the key is to make sure that you get the right advice. You know, there is a myriad of trainers available, you know, with mm. pronation, supination, carbon last, non-carbon last, additional uh, uh, cushioning, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and often, you know, you walk into a shop and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling, the array that's available. And so some people, classically, you know, what I see regularly is that people will buy the most expensive in the assumption that's the best thing for them. And, and it 100% is not. It's not about how much they cost. It's whether it's the right shoe for you. So make sure you get the right advice. Uh, and, and in getting the right advice, you know, how, how do we know which advice we're getting? Um, but, you know, trusted sources, word of mouth, uh, speaking to people who've got experience will make such a difference. And what that will do is it will get, get you to the point where you're selecting the right trainers. You're identifying whether you need lasts, in terms of orthotics and those type of things, but do it for you. Don't do it because your mate who's run a couple of marathons has done it before, and so therefore that must work for me. Very, very sound advice. Um, now, Tracy, back to you. We've touched on food, and we know food is important when you're training for a goal like the marathon, but there is a lot of confusing information out there when it comes to the amount of carbs protein, fat. Do you have some simple rules which we can all follow? Yeah, this is a great question because you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, everybody wants to know what to eat, when to eat, how much when you're training for a marathon. And there's plenty of uh, confusing and conflicting information out there, whether that's your mate, as Greg said, who's, who did the marathon last year, has got the tricks of the trade or misinformation on, online. But um you know, unfortunately, there isn't um, a one size fits all for a runner. And this is the same with, with nutrition. Everybody's got um, different needs. Um, but there is broad sort of scientific consensus about the balance of foods that you need to have to maximize your performance. And this bit's quite easy to put into practice. Um, so the first thing to know is that, you know, you do need more carbohydrates, you know, low carbs and in, in the sort of... Uh, health world you know is no good really when you're running the marathon carbohydrates provide your muscles with fuel but it, but it is it is about balance so too little um, and you're likely to run out of fuel 
Um, this will mean that you can feel tired all the time. That's whether you're running or not. Um, you might not even progress with your training. So as you're upping your, your distance, if you're not taking enough carbohydrates on board, you might find that you're not finishing your training session or the race or even recovering um, well enough after um, a long, long race. Um, but the flip side is if you're having too much, if you're over-egging on, uh, you know, cover-loading on your plates at mealtimes, you know, you're likely to put on a bit of weight and that will leave you sluggish and that will also sort of affect your performance. So it is a fine balance. So, uh, you know, the question is, how much should you you have? And roughly, generally speaking, it's, it's just over half your calories should be coming from carbohydrates. And the easiest way to think about wow. it is what you've got on your plate. So if you've got your plate in front okay. of you, half your plate should be full of carbohydrates. And these are your healthy, um, higher fiber, slow energy releasing carbohydrates that you want, not your cakes and biscuits and all those sort of snack foods. It's get that foundation in your everyday meals right so that you're getting good, slow releasing uh, carbohydrates. And would you say that it's important to have that balance throughout the day? So we're talking breakfast, lunch and dinner or or is it more scaled around training? Yeah, it's, that's a, a really good question. I, I think it's quite good to get into the habit of having regular meals with the balance at each meal. But you're right, balance it with your, your training. If you're, if you're doing an easy 5K or it's a rest day or you're just doing your stretching, then obviously the balance on your plate is still going to be the same, but your portion size will be less on those days. But if you're raring, you know, if you're, you know, putting up your, your distance, then obviously what you're going to be wanting more of is regular carbohydrate over the whole day. That's slow. It's like filling up a, a, a car. If you're doing a long distance, you know, one shot of petrol in, in your car is not going to do it. You know, you'll need to fill up regularly. So again, by, you know, making sure that you're having regular meals with good amounts of carbohydrate, you're, you're going to find that you're always starting a race, a long run training session on a full tank rather than uh, half empty. And would you say, so say on those rest days, um, I, I know people find this particularly challenging when they've, you know, maybe upped their calories whilst they're training on rest days or days where you're slightly less active. Would you suggest, you know, upping the, the veggie content or the salad to sort of bulk out the meal to make you feel fuller? Or is that not something you'd recommend? If you're sort of downsizing the portion, is it about calories or is it about physical portion on your plate? It's a bit of both. I mean, on the days where you're not doing much, you you know, you, you don't need the additional calories, but you, you have to be mindful about perhaps what you're going to be doing the next day. So if you are planning on doing a reasonable amount of running the next day, you need to make sure that perhaps yep. your evening meal has got a, a bit more carbohydrate in it than the, you know, the earlier meals in, in the day. So it's, it's, it's getting, yeah. getting that, that balance of um, looking ahead to what you're doing as well as what, what you're doing on, on the actual day. So it's, it's the little tweaks that uh, can, can make the difference between uh, having a rest, but making sure you're still topping up those uh, carbohydrate, your glycogen stores in your muscle if you, your previous day has been a long, hard run versus you know, not wanting to overload because you're, you're feeling, you know, like a bit bloated or sluggish. So it is it is a fine line, but balance that up with the type of training that you're doing. And knowing if you've got a, a long run coming up, you, you need to make sure that your, your meal before that run has got a good, uh, you know, quality and quantity of uh, carbohydrate. Now I'm going to stick with the carbs 
because having done the marathon before, I know it's all everybody talks about. It's like, yeah, we can eat so many carbs. But let's get into the nitty gritty of that because most people, you know, see carbs as bread, pasta, pizza, oats. But am I correct in saying we can get carbohydrates from other sources such as veg? Yes, you're right. So we all tend to think of our starchy carbohydrates being bread, pasta, rice, cereals as our our main sources of carbohydrate. But um, vegetables, not really, not much carbohydrate in there, but fruit is the other one and beans and pulses. So if you're looking for a good shot of carbohydrate, perhaps without the full feeling that comes along with a big pile of pasta or rice, they're really easy things to to include in your diet where you're getting carbohydrate without feeling full. So yes, more fruit and vegetables as, as we, you know, going back to your original question about, um, you know, what, how much we should be having fruit and vegetables. We should be getting five a day. If we're not, you know, that's something that you, you need to start, start having now because not only is it giving you some carbohydrates, but plenty of vitamins and minerals, fiber, antioxidants all those things that you need to support your increased activity as well as your immune system. So it doesn't have to be just about breads and pastas and rice. Put in those pulses such as chickpeas and like uh, kidney beans and make sure you've got uh, a good quarter of your plate full of um, fruits and veggies. So important and good for the heart health as well. Yeah. Greg, fellow Olympian, what was one of the most important things you learned as an Olympian, that would be useful for Team BHF ahead of the London Marathon? Wow. <laughs> There's no a lot pressure. of things you learn Just and they're along the way. that in there. <laughs> Do you know, I think I, I have this little saying and that is like nothing, nothing great is ever achieved alone. And I think as, as an Olympian, what, what you recognise is that, that it is a, it's a team event. Even individual events are, are a team event. And and so what I would always say to people is that that you know if, if you're coming into the marathon, in whichever aspect of the marathon is, you know th- there are lots of different aspects to running the London Marathon. You know, ranging from actually running it physically all the way through to fundraising, uh, and and every aspect of that performance will will pull together. To, for you to reflect on whether you've been successful or not, so you, you might have set you might have set um, targets for fundraising, you might have, and obviously you've set a target to finish the event itself. And I think as part of that, what that means is that what you want to try and do is use is is broaden that base away from yourself and actually pull a team together, um, because that team can help you be successful. And, and, and when I talk about team, you know, obviously it's not like being an elite athlete where you've got a physiologist and a psychologist and a biomechanist sort of working with you. For me, actually, it's, it's you know, my family, the ultra endurance work I do now, my family are integral uh, to my success as part of the team. How, how, my, how I operate with my kids and how my kids support me when I'm in training, how my wife does that. Um, friends who can support me in various different ways, particularly friends of mine who, who really understand fundraising and can can amplify that message to make sure we get enough in. So I think, you know, in general, I think it's probably one of the greatest lessons that you learn as an elite athlete is that it's not just about you. And the better the team that you can wrap around yourself, the more successful you are likely to be. I love that. People are everything, um, both in and out of sport. I'm a big advocate of that. Surround yourself by the good ones. Energy creates energy. Now, to both of you, 
You first, Tracy. Why did you want to get involved with the BHF and be a part of the support squad for the TCS London Marathon? Yeah, I mean, you know, running the marathon is a massive physical challenge and uh, to take on. And especially as Greg says, you know, part of it is raising money for the BHF and that's to fund our vital research into regenerative medicine to improve people who've got heart failure. So really important aspect. But, um, you know, with my sports dietitian hat on, like like everyone else in the support squad, um, I really wanted to share my expertise and support everyone through their marathon journey. And um, we know that most people will follow a training plan, but um, it's only one piece of the puzzle, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, maximizing your, your performance, you need a nutrition plan too. So we all know that when you eat right, your training becomes easier and you'll maximize your performance. So, you know, we're, talk- we're bringing it all full circle the whole time in our answers here about it's it's the the foundation that creates success here really at the end of the day so i'm sure greg will will say the same thing our collective aim in, in part of the sports uh, squad is really to keep everyone fit and healthy as well as you know nice. getting them engaged and motivated along their their marathon journey and um i think that's the key thing about our our role for um everyone who's running this for the the bhf and greg Anything yeah, I, you I, want to add to that? Do you know, I, I fully agree. And I, I think, you know, just from a personal perspective, I think that to my mind, I think the mark of life success is is how much you can help and support your fellow man. I mean, I really believe that there is nothing better. And I think the great thing about about the BHF and about, about Team BHF is that not only are they setting themselves a goal for a personal achievement to run the London Marathon, but they're also setting themselves a, a goal, a target to raise funds for the crucial work that the BHF does. Again, cascade down from there that the BHF is doing to help other people. We are fundamentally doing it to help others. And I think the more people we can help achieve their goals, uh, the, the more fulfilled our lives will be. That's really special. Greg, we spoke about the cake for those people that are listening we're going back to cake um and <laughs> victoria <they're> training. sponge <laughs> oh is it victoria? i like victoria yeah. sponge yeah, oh, well, that's yeah. good yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to running the 26.2 miles our listeners our runners that have taken on board your initial advice with now just a few weeks ago what they what should they be doing with the rest of the cake how far baked is it how can they finish this preparation both mentally and physically? Or is it just a case of putting the icing on? No, I, I think it's interesting, actually. It's, 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 our analogy is sort of moving on, which is really quite nice. But I think, you know, what importantly, and I think Tracy just mentioned this, you know, the, the thing about performance is it's not just about the, the sort of physicality of the performance itself, it's also about remaining healthy. And, and that's really crucial. Um, and, and I think it's very, very easy to to drift into unhealthy habits as an athlete, you know, as a marathon runner. And I think we've got to be very careful about that. So making sure that we keep that balance of, of doing what's right for our running performance, but making sure we stay healthy at the same time is absolutely crucial. Nutrition underpins that. Hydration, absolutely crucial. Uh, one of the things we haven't spoken about, you know, absolutely fundamental to performance is recovery and optimizing that recovery. One of the things that in general people do worst 
um, because you know we're we're busy. We've got you know jobs and families, etc. So the one thing that we do is we we squeeze in the training, um, but we ignore the recovery. And, and so the one thing I would say is that that as we're leading into the event itself, the one thing that you you want to really avoid is panic. Uh, is that that fear, whether it's fear of failure or even for some people fear of success, but what that often drives is it drives it drives changes uh, and actions which are detrimental to either performance or health. And and so bringing it back to our cake analogy, what you can do is you can overcook the cake, uh, and then all of a sudden it really isn't that great. So it doesn't matter doesn't what the icing is that you put over the top of it. If you've done too much, too hard, too long. Uh, then all of a sudden the cake is ruined anyway. So I think it probably brings you back to, to one of the, the key messages I said earlier on, but that is about planning and making sure that you've got a structured, periodized program as yep. you come in. And so as we get closer to the event, the, the, the main block of work has really been done. What you are doing as we get closer to the event is you are polishing. You're just you're just making those slight tweaks, those slight changes. You know, yep. keep calm, stick to the plan, and make sure you deliver yourself to the start line of the London Marathon in good health, ready to ready to race. Fresh. I like it. I suppose that's where life balance as a whole really comes in. And that's so important in every element, work, social, physical, mental. Um, so as you said, the, the sort of structure in your training and how you're going to fit it all in is, is really key. Um, now, Tracy, we're gonna we're gonna jump ship. We're now at race day. No pressure, anyone. Don't get too nervous. <laughs> Have you got any tips on what people should be eating or how to manage nerves on the day off? Whether you're a you know first time runner or a seasoned runner, you you're gonna you're gonna have have the nerves for sure. So. I mean, I think, um, some of it is, is, as you say, it's, it's about planning and making sure you have, you've got a good grip of what's going to happen. So doing, you know, perhaps doing a trial run during your, your training that mimics race day. So you can match everything as closely as possible. That, that can really help if you suffer from pre-race nerves as it sort of takes away some of the un- uncertainty. So, you know, don't try anything new, you know, in the morning, you know, if you normally have something like porridge uh, with with honey for before your long races, keep to that on uh, you know race day. Do the things that you've uh, tried and tested because you try and change something. You know it can have effect on your stomach and you know runners uh, trots etc. And all that hard work go, goes out the the, the window. So uh, you know it's it's also about. Remember all the hard work that you've put in. I mean, Greg's been saying that, you know, you've trained, if you've trained and you're prepared, trust in yourself and your training. And actually, once you get running, the nerves will wear off. Use the nerves. Yeah, use the nerves, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so Greg, we've talked about the morning off. We're now the evening off. Any tips for recovery? What should post-evening race look like? I'm I'm envisaging myself, I'm going to go vodka soda and a pizza. What do you reckon? Happy days. <laughs> you know, I, 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 the, the crucial thing is a celebration. I like it. I, I think one of the most important things about, about taking on these challenges is that you celebrate success. Uh, and and in, in doing that, what that means is that, that you, you spend it with, with friends and with family 
and and all together you celebrate. However that works for you, uh, then go for it. I think you know you're not going to be running the following day. You're probably not going to be able to run for the following week. Um, but you know it, it's 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 a long journey. And if you've done the training, you've done you've done, you've done the race itself. What you should do most importantly is celebrate success. Cheers to that. So whatever that looks like to you, whether it's a pint of beer, whether it's a non-alcoholic drink, whether it's a milkshake, you enjoy it because you deserve it. Um, Tracy. I was just going to add something to that. I mean, you know, that question of, you know, recovery and all the guidelines that go with it, you know, does it really matter? Uh, On the whole, no, absolutely enjoy your achievement. But one of the things I, I would say is that um, make sure you replace fluids that's um, right at, at the beginning follow some of those guidelines you know take on board a sports drink plenty of water and then keep drinking throughout the day check the color of your urine if it's pretty gold it means you need to keep you know hydrating and taking on board but thereafter absolutely enjoy your achievement and uh, and overindulge in in my dietitian's word of in moderation but yeah it's a it's about the <laughs> celebration of uh, achieving Love you know that. something fantastic really um okay we're going to go during the marathon now controversial gels drinks what do you think yeah nice nice question we we all know that refueling is uh, so important and you can get it from gels sports drinks any of them the key thing to know is that gels and sports drinks will be provided on the racetracks. But the key thing here is try them because there's a myriad of supplements on, on the market and not all of them are going to be right for you. And you want to be making sure that you've tried and tested any supplements that, that you're going to be using and not on race day. It's I've seen it so many times where people at the roadshow meet up with someone and they say, no, my, my gel's fabulous. You've got to have it. It's bought, it's in the running belt, people take it, and then they have real uh, stomach discomfort. So the the mantra is with all this, try, try and try again. So whether it's sports drinks, gels, combination of, or you're wanting something more tangible in your mouth like uh, dates or a white bread sandwich with uh, jam, all these things uh, will, will do the same job in terms of providing carbohydrate as you go along to make sure you're refueling. But it really is up to you in in, in the end in terms of what fits for you. I like it. Greg, this is a goodie for you. First of all, the runner's wall. (laughs) Does it exist and how do you overcome it? It, Well, 100% it does. Um, I think what's critical, the thing to remember about the marathon is that halfway is at 20 miles. Is now, of course, you know, from a metric perspective, it's at 13 miles, as we know, but it's the 18, 18 to 20 mile point where it, where the wheels start to fall off. Oh dear! And so it, it it will happen. It happens to everybody. If you talk to elite marathon runners, that's the point at which it really starts to get tough. So the the key to it is to make sure that what you're doing is you're preparing for that point. The best advice I've got for anybody is it is little, early, and often. So what you do is you, you start the, the fluid and the nutrition early. You yeah. take small amounts on, but you do it on a regular basis so that what you do is you delimit the potential for 18 or 20 miles becoming a real, real slog to finish off the marathon. Yeah, I really echo echo that um, because also from experience of uh, clients, they often find when you get to mile 20, 21, 
you know they you know there's no blood in the stomach to be digesting things it's all in your extremities where you know your muscles need it and sometimes you get to that point and it, it, no amount of gels or sports drink will do anything you just can't have anything so the earlier you start the more likely you are to use the energy that's been provided by these supplements rather than dipping into your muscle glycogen that can sort of carry you over the finish line. Absolutely brilliant. And finally, Greg and Tracy, we like to finish off by asking all of our guests what their favourite running song is. What gets them going every time they get their kicks on? Tracy. Yeah, well, I think my top list to really to get me motivated from the get-go is uh, Believer by the Imagine Dragons. It's it's the drum beats that get get you going on that. So great, great starter. Uh, do we get a little no. uh, a little sing song from no. you? Not not at all. Just the chorus? No, <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> okay, Greg, over to you. I've just changed my mind now. If you want me to sing something, so. Uh... <laughs> I don't think there's any, there's not really one track. I think it, it, it varies across, you know, certainly when I'm doing ultras. Uh, the, the one thing I always remember when I uh, swam the channel once, it was in the Night Garden theme tune. And if anybody's got children out there, you'll know where that is. And it's just that that rhythmicity to it. And, and it just takes you away somewhere different. Uh, but I think it, fundamentally it's whatever works for you. Um, for, for me, it varies through the marathon. What I want at mile one, is very different from what I want at mile 20, I'll tell you. <laughs> Starting with a bit of Spice Girls, ending with a bit of Heavy Rock, is that what you're Can't saying? Beat, you cannot beat a bit of Spice Up Your Life. <laughs> spice Up Your Life, there you go, I'll sing for you guys. <laughs> oh, oh my God, don't do it. <laughs> ah, I want to say a massive thank you to Professor Greg White and Tracy Parker. Some really, really insightful information there. I know I've taken so much from chatting to these guys. I just want to keep grilling them. They are open books of knowledge. So, guys, a massive, massive thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. It's been great. The British Heart Foundation is proud to be the official charity for the 2022 TCS London Marathon. We're raising money to fund one of the most exciting and promising fields of research today, regenerative medicine. BHF-funded researchers are edging closer to turning healing hearts into a reality. Researchers like Professor Sanjay Sinha and his team are creating a groundbreaking heart healing patch that could repair damaged heart muscle and transform the lives of those affected by heart failure, restoring hearts to their former glory and helping to save lives of millions globally. But Sanjay and his team can't do it without your help. The BHF are asking the nation to rally behind Sanjay through fundraising, donations and support on the day of the marathon to help get groundbreaking research like Sanjay's over the line even faster. If you would like to donate to Sanjay's research and help get the healing heart patch over the line, then please, please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash heart patch. Every donation, big or small, is much appreciated and if you would like more info on training fundraising tips or nutrition please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash london marathon 2022 for more inspiring stories from our high profile supporters and from our patient community please listen and follow the ticker tapes on the bhf website or wherever you get your podcasts 
And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. <laughs>